First John chapter number four. What a blessing to be with you here tonight in the house of the Lord. And uh, boy, I enjoy listening to the prayer requests. Uh, there's one of them that uh, I got a text, and uh, so I didn't have a chance to put it on a card. But I want you to pray for Sue Cooper's uh, mother. She's ill, and uh, they're going to be treating her. And so you just pray that God would give them wisdom. And uh, but it helps me to hear the prayer requests of God's people. It helps me get to know. God's people better. You really want to know people. Uh, you ought to ask them if you can pray for anything for them. You'll find out the things they love. You'll find out the things that uh, they're insecure about. You'll find out the things that are important to them. And um, I, I appreciate that prayer request about about parenting from Hannah there. And um, I know exactly exactly what she means. Um, you know, I've, I've been friends with Stephen for 20 years, and he's still not grown. And she has took on a monumental task trying to get him raised, and uh, so you pray for her. First John chapter number 4 tonight, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. First John chapter 4, verse number 1. I have just a few simple thoughts with you uh, to share with you tonight, but they, they're help to me. I believe they'll be a help to you. The Word of God says, First John chapter 4, verse number 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth it. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Help us as we study it. May we make ap uh, application of it in our lives, Lord. May we view it not as the words of men, not as uh, not as human thoughts, but understanding as it is in truth the very word of God. May we give it the reverence that it that it deserves. May we give it the right of way in our life. May we yield to it, Lord, instead of desiring to conform it to us. Lord, we know that as we do this, that uh, Christ will be magnified, our life will be changed, we'll be the better for it, Lord. We'll be the church that we need to be as Walridge. We'll be the Christians that we need to be. We'll be the husbands and, and uh, families, wives, children, Lord, that we need to be uh, in magnifying you, Lord. We love you and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice with me John's very, very clear language in verse number 3. John says, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And then he says this, this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You know, it's interesting when you read that word Antichrist, John used that as his title for the what the Bible calls, Paul called the man of sin, uh, the coming leader of a world empire, of a global empire, uh, that is going to stand in defiance of the things of God, the truth of God, uh, and will preside over that period of time that the Bible clearly teaches as the Great Tribulation period. But John makes an interesting statement about it. He says, you know, there is an individual. You've heard of this man. Likely, John is referring to Paul's writings when he says this. You've heard that this man of sin, this son of perdition, you've heard that he is coming. 
there will come a day that He will be uh, revealed to mankind. In many ways, the role of the Antichrist will be an exact mirror image of the ministry of Christ. Just as Christ is going to have a revelation to this world, before that happens, the Antichrist will have a revelation to this world. The Bible says that man of sin will be revealed. And many other similarities that we could lay beside each other and uh, notice the comparisons and contrast. But John says there is this man that is coming. But he says, I want you to understand that even in the days that we're living in, though that man has not yet been revealed, and I'll just say clearly, in the days that we're living in, he might already be born. We don't know. Uh, it's evident that there will be a period of time, even that he will be in public life, that it will not be clear that he is that leader of that world empire. It's possible he could be a leader in our day. We do not know. Uh, what we do know, though, is that being that we're here, we've not been raptured out, uh, that moment of the revelation of him as the man of sin, that moment has not come yet. And John says, you know, knowing that this day is coming, knowing that because we are here, that day has not yet arrived, there is a great danger that we sort of recline, that we sort of just take a guard down and begin to believe that everything is safe and, and tidy and nice and, and everything is secure leading up to that moment. But John disabuses us of that notion. Now, he's not talking about problems and mayhem that can exist in the world even leading up to the rapture, although I do believe there can be a lot of mayhem and chaos. You can look around at the world around us tonight. Is Are they burning down major cities yet? I've not checked the news in the last hour, so I don't know. Uh, but John says in a spiritual sense that we need to understand that though that day has not yet arrived, that does not mean that there is not great danger in the world today of the people of God being deceived by that same spirit, that same power that will energize the Antichrist is even now in our day working to try to deceive the people of God. The Bible tells us that delusion, deception will be a mark of the great tribulation period, that a strong delusion will fall upon all of humanity. But understand that the conditions that that predicate that, the conditions that prepare the way for that, they don't begin the day that the church is raptured out. We're living in days now where deception is being trafficked in heavily. We're living in a day now where what is true is really immaterial for the vast majority of the world. What are we as people of God to do in days like we're living in now? And even days like John was living in then. I'd remind you the context of 1 John was deception in the local church. The Gnostics had come in and were beginning to spread their poison throughout the early New Testament church. And, and if you read it with that understanding, it clarifies a lot of what John deals with throughout 1 John. But even in John's day, he recognizes that you can't trust everything that has the name Christian on it. You can't trust everything that claims to be of God. You can't trust everything that claims to be biblical. And so he advocates for the people of God to have a spirit of discernment in the way they interact with the world around us. Let me say, God doesn't call us to paranoia, but He does call us to discernment. So what's the difference, preacher? Well, paranoia is just feeling like everybody's out to get you. Discernment is understanding that there's some that are. Discernment is recognizing that that don't mean you can't trust anybody, but it sure means you shouldn't trust everybody. And so uh, the Bible advocates for biblical doctrinal discernment, not just taking everything at face value, not just swallowing everything whole, but instead being discerning. I'm going to use a word that's used very negatively in our day, but it's not an inherently negative word, being critical in the way that we look at the world around us. 
critiquing the things that take place around us. Uh, you'll often hear people say that being judgmental is antithetical to Christianity. There couldn't be anything further from the truth. The Bible says that the spiritual man judgeth all things. We're to judge righteous judgment. Now that does not mean being ugly. It doesn't mean being mean-spirited. But what it does mean is being willing to recognize that there are harmful things in the world around us and that we need to be wary of those things. I want to give you a few thoughts tonight on this. Developing discernment in dark days. We ought to be a discerning people. And John here reveals to us the pathway, or we might say this, it's not a sweeping treaty on discernment, but it does give us some fundamental principles for how to be discerning. Before we do, I want us to notice though, I want us to zero in on that word antichrist. Uh, You'll find that John uses it on uh, three other occasions in his writings. First time he uses it is back in 1 John chapter number 2. And he says this in verse 18 of that chapter. Little children, it is the last time. By the way, uh, that is not as much a chronological statement as it is a dispensational statement. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, he's not saying that there's only so many hours left or so many days left. He doesn't know that, just as you and I don't know that. But what he's saying is, we are living in the time where the very next thing on God's calendar is the rapture of the church, the revelation of the Son of God, the reckoning that's coming to this world. He's saying this dispensation of God dealing with humanity and not dealing in judgment is coming to a close, and we are living in the last time. And he says this, as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, John says, whereby we know that it is the last time. I want to make a few statements about what he means here. He's talking about false prophets that deceive people, false prophets that are used of the devil, false prophets that can do great damage to the people of God if we're not cautious about them. And he makes three statements. The first is found here. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, it could be suggested he's saying they were not saved people. Although, I would say this, I wouldn't even necessarily constrain it that far. I think there's a lot of people that are saved Christians that the devil uses to do a lot of damage and destruction. When he says that they are not of us, he's talking about himself in an apostolic role. And what he's saying is there were people that purported to be apostles, to be speaking with authority given from God, but he said that's not true. He said, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. How many of you know that uh, things that are different are not the same? Basic fundamental rule. You learn that in elementary school. You learn it in kindergarten. They put a blue block in front of you and a green block in front of you. They say, what's the difference? We understand that those blocks aren't the same. There's a difference between them. The things that are different are not the same. John says this, they went out from us, turned around and lobbed hand grenades back at us, doctrinally speaking. They've made themselves enemies of the cross and that in and of itself tells you that we can't be saying the same thing. In other words, there's a difference here. He said this, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Let me say number one tonight, uh, that these false prophets are devilish. So what do you mean, preacher? I mean they're being used of the devil to deceive and destroy Christians. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I want to be abundantly clear in what I'm about to say. There's no form or format or method or manner of technology that is inherently intrinsically bad. There was a time people preached against radio preachers. And then everybody got on the radio, so they started preaching against TV preachers. Amen. Then everybody got on the TV, they started preaching against Facebook preachers.
creatures, amen? And I don't know what the next thing will be. I, I don't know. We'll all be living in a virtual universe, amen, uh, here pretty soon. But uh, I would say this. There's nothing in, in, intrinsically wrong with technology. However, the television, televangelist movement is a hotbed for doctrinal error. It, it, it is a real problem for the people of God. And listen, I don't care. I don't care if it's what your favorite is, if it's TBN or Daystar or whatever it is. Uh, you'll find on every one of them people that are peddling in pure error. And those people are doing more damage to the people of God than any atheist lecturer in any secular college. Because the people of God are listening to those people and absorbing what they say. Well, listen, make no mistake about it. The devil uses people like that. And so we must be discerning. Notice the second usage down in verse 22 of that same chapter. First John chapter 2, verse 22. He says this, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Now, I, I could just stop here and preach against oneness Pentecostalism. I think that's probably the clearest context here. Who, By the way, you say, well, Preacher, ain't nobody a oneness Pentecostal. T.D. Jakes is a oneness Pentecostal. He don't believe there's a trinity. He believed there's Jesus and Jesus only. And I listen, I, he may have said something that was cute or something that you thought was poignant or whatever, and that's fine. I'm not mad at you over it. I ain't mad at nobody over nothing. I'm just preaching Bible tonight. But I'm willing, if I know a name, to call a name if I think they'll do you damage. And he's doctrinally unsound. He doesn't believe in the Trinity. He believes that there's just Jesus and that the Father and the Son are just other names for Jesus. That's not what your Bible teaches. Uh, he has not denied the Son, but he has denied the Father denies that the Father exists. But I, I don't want to pick up on that. I'm not even going to preach on that. I'm not going to say anything about T.D. Jakes. Instead, I want you to notice, aren't you glad? <laughs> we almost said something about him. I'm glad we didn't. Look what the very first phrase is. It says this, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Let me say, not only are they devilish, they are deliberate. For a person to be a liar, they have to be complicit. They have to know that what they're telling you is not the truth. You know the great danger, and I, I'm going to say that this is true of the televangelist movement. It's true of a lot of the, uh, you know, big mega church movements. And by the way, a church being big don't make it bad, just like a church being small don't make it good. But it, it's just it's endemic in a lot of these places where consumerism has become the the, the driving uh, motivation in all of these things. Don't think for one moment that they don't know the truth about who Jesus is. They know who he is. They just have a vested interest in peddling lies to people that they think will make them feel better. Can I tell you the truth now tonight? Hey, listen, there are some things you preach, it's going to thin your crowd. There are some things that if you say, people are not going to be pleased with. There are certain truths that if you deal with, they are going to drive people that are either unsaved or carnal out of the house of God. Where does our obligation lie? Does it lie to gathering a big crowd in? I don't think it does. I think it lies with the truth. Uh, he says these people are liars. They know what is true but they have an interest in not telling what is true because telling what is untrue is building them a crowd. It's putting money in their coffers. It's giving them a name. It's giving them uh, prominence and power and influence in their life. So listen, don't take for granted. I think there is a tendency to do this, and, and, and I'm just, I don't know. Maybe, I, I hope I don't have a bad spirit in what I'm about to say. I don't believe that I do. I'm not upset about anything. But for too long, the people of God have given good faith to people that deserve no good faith have taken for granted, well, they probably meant this, they probably meant that, they probably meant this. Now, let me tell you something. That TV preacher has sat under more systematic theology than you could ever even dream of. He knows what he's saying. 
He knows what he's saying. When they get up there and deny literal hell, they know what they're saying. When they get up and, and they proclaim that we don't have a Bible, they know what they're saying. When they get up and they, they cause a, a sort of a, a confusion about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ or the nature of the Trinity, they're not dumb. They know what they're saying. They found a lane to run in and they're making money doing it. And they'd rather do that than they would be loyal to the truth. They are deliberate. And then notice what it says in 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. This is a short verse, but if you can turn there if you'd like, I'll read it to you. It says this, Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So they are devilish and they are deliberate, but they are also deceivers. In other words, their interest is in fooling you into believing something that is not true. Something they know is true, they don't want you to believe. Something they know is not true, they do want you to believe. They are interested in pulling the wool over your eyes. That's the reason anybody, anybody, any movement that tries to take Bibles, King James Bibles out of people's hands, I have a problem with. I do. I, I, I think it's wrong. I think it's dangerous. Uh, we ought to, people ought to be reading their Bibles. You ought to be able to check everything I say. You ought to be able to check in your King James Bible. And if it don't line up with what this Bible says, you just tell me to pound sand, all right? Don't you worry about what I think about it. You stand on the truth of the Word of God. Uh, that's the best antidote to it, is the truth of the Word of God. So we see some characteristics. Who are these people? Let's quit giving them quarter. Let's quit pretending that this isn't an, a thing that exists in the world today, as though everybody that says the name Jesus, as though every every singer that sings some song that tangentially mentions something about God or the Bible or the man upstairs or the good book, well, they must be a saved person that knows God and, and believes in Jesus Christ and believes in the Bible. Let's go ahead and be adult about this and recognize that there's a lot of danger in the world around us. And it would be incumbent upon you and I, it would behoove us to be, to, be, to be vigilant about the dangers that exist. Now, what does John say in regards to that? He gives us six things that he mentions that we need in our lives in order to combat uh, error and, and, and uh, untruth and, and deception around us. What needs to be our attitude as we look around at a world that traffics in, in uh, you know, trademark Christianity, in Christianity copyrighted? What needs to be our attitude towards them. Notice what it says in verse number one of our text, First John chapter four. Beloved, believe not every spirit. That's pretty clear, right? Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. I'd say number one tonight, we need to be cautious in spirit and we need to be cautious of spirits. Now, what does the word spirit mean in this context? Sometimes the word spirit can reflect a person's attitude or a person's disposition. But we're told in verse number two uh, about the spirit of God, who is a person. He is a being. He is a person of the Godhead. He has a personality. He has a mind. He has volition. He has a will. Uh, he has sentience. He has all these things. So using the context of the word of God, when it talks about trying the spirit, it's not talking about people's attitudes. It's not talking about their disposition. It's not talking about their manner. Rather, it is saying that there is a devilish, demonic spirit that energizes false teaching. You say, what do you mean by that preacher energizes? I'm not saying that person is not aware. I'm saying that the same way that the Holy Ghost of God takes the words of a God-called preacher preaching the Word of God and gives life to it and gives power to it, the devil has a vested interest in injecting into false teaching as much charisma and power as he possibly can. 
And so there are evil spirits, devilish spirits, that work in error and, and traffic in untruth in order to deceive the people of God. And we need to recognize that that is the case. And because of that, we need to be cautious. Every time that we hear anything that we do not know the pedigree of, and I'm even cautious when I say that, because listen, you might be listening to somebody that normally is right on but says something way off. I've been that guy before. There's been things, man, I've looked back before. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I want Young preachers will uh, sometimes ask me about sermon outlines. I don't want to give them to them, amen. I need to go back through and proofread about 90% of them and figure out if what I said holds, amen. But but I would say this. I recognize that very often we'll give the benefit of the doubt to people whose uh, legacy and testimony that we know. Certainly we should test everything against the Word of God. But more than anything, we need to have a spirit disposition of, of criticism, and not in ugliness, not in meanness, but of skepticism and criticism when we hear things that are said. The opposite is what is promoted in modern day Christianity. There is a cultural pressure to never scrutinize anything that has the name Jesus on it. You are told you are a critical, ugly person. You are told that you are, are grieving the Holy Spirit when you do that. The Holy Spirit ain't got no problem with us making sure that something is true. He is the spirit of truth. He's not offended by us taking out our Bible and seeing if something lines up. It's his book. But there is cultural pressure all the time to dismiss things that we see as wrong and incorrect. And by the way, I'm not advocating for a cult of personality where if we like what somebody says, we accept everything that they say. Or that if we don't like some of the things that someone says, we unduly criticize them even if what they're saying is truth. I'm saying you look at the content of what's being said. And you ask yourself, where does that line up with the truth of the Word of God? We need to have a, a critical spirit, a scrutinizing spirit in the way that we look at things and interpret things and absorb things. We should not be constantly trying to provide cover and assume the best. In, in other words, we ought to look at it and say, does this teach what the Bible says? We ought to be cautious in spirit. Notice verse number 2 with me. says this, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So there's a few things I would say about this. One, John is not seeking to give a comprehensive body of fundamental doctrines in this verse. He's not saying the only thing that matters is whether we profess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That is the very heartbeat of modern ecumenicalism, which is so rotten to the core. That if we can just agree about one or two things, nothing else matters. Funny thing about it, man, if none of the rest matters, why did God go to such great lengths to give us a Bible, to preserve that Bible, and to deliver it to us in a perfect and errant form that we can read and hold and study today? What is the whole counsel of God? The whole counsel of God is more than just the gospel. So John is not seeking here to, to say the only thing that matters, although that is what modern Christianity has said. doesn't matter what a man says about anything else. I mean, if you were to take it in that sense, 
then you could claim that it doesn't matter what they believe about the deity of Christ. You could claim it doesn't matter what they believe about the virgin birth. You could claim it doesn't matter what it believes about the Bible itself, the inerrancy of it. You could claim that that it doesn't matter what uh, the criteria of salvation is, the mode and means and manner of salvation by grace or, or through faith. Paul said, if any man comes, or even an angel from heaven preaching a gospel other than what he gave, he said anathema to him. Let God curse that man. That's strong language. And that would not be contained if we were simply to view this as a statement merely on the incarnation and nothing else. So obviously there is something more to it. Well, when we look at it and consider it in the context of of John's day and what John knew and what John said, we find that this is a sweeping statement. We see in this a paramount truth. Notice it carefully. What does he say? Every spirit that confesseth that what? Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Now, what does that statement mean? Well, notice number one, he uses the term Jesus. That had a connotation and a context when John pinned it down. The term Jesus referred to the man uh, that uh, was God in the flesh manifest, but the man that they had all known as their Lord, their Master, their Savior, who had for 33 and a half years walked this earth, had been born of a virgin, and had performed for the last three and a half years of his life great miracles, then died on the cross of Calvary, was buried, and rose from the dead in power and in glory. In other words, he is speaking of the record of his humanity. He's talking about the Jesus that we know from the testimony of the Word of God. So in other words, if any man comes along preaching a Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible, then we are to view that man as an antichrist. If he claims that he had any, and we see this in, in our modern day, there's all sorts of, of uh, you know, spurious testimonies that are added to Scripture. Every once in a while, Hollywood will weave it into some kind of blockbuster movie or some kind of play or something like that that they'll try to traffic and peddle to the people of God where they claim that there's all these various things. Of course, you won't find them in your Bible, you know, but all these things that happened in the life of Jesus that somehow God left out of His holy inspired book. No, we ought to stick with the clear biblical record of His humanity. Then he says, Jesus Christ. Now the term Christ, Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, it speaks not only of the record of His humanity, but of the reality of His deity. That He was not just a man, but He was the God-man. He was God in the flesh. That He was God the Son and the Son of God. In other words, anything that deviates from the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that claims that His earthly ministry is merely a metaphor or a parable. That it is merely a fable told to illustrate certain ideals. Or that deviates from the clear record of Scripture and tries to traffic and peddle to us a different Jesus is not of God. By the same token, any sort of teacher, any sort of teaching that tries to claim that he did live indeed, but he was just a human man, he was a good teacher, he was a, you know, a prophet of sorts, but, but he was no more than just a religious leader of his day, just a, a controversial rabbi. Likewise, that is an antichrist. The humanity and the divinity. Anything that degrades the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ is not of God. The whole Bible is, is, is devoted to the exalting of the Lord Jesus. It's the testimony of the Lord Jesus. And anything that denigrates, that's part of the issue that I've got with all these new versions. And I've got a lot of issues with the new versions. I've got issues on a theological level, on a rational level. I've got it on a philosophical level. I've got issues on a practical level. I've got issues on an aesthetic level. Amen? I've got a lot of issues with them. But one of the things that invariably all of them do is they all denigrate the deity of the Lord Jesus. They all try to take Him down a peg or two. Well, why? To broaden the tent a little bit. To try to scoop in some more people. So the reality of His divinity. And then look what it says. 
Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Now, it is not just merely the fact of His incarnation, but we would say that it is the spirit or principles, the truth surrounding His incarnation, which is what? The gospel that is contained within that statement. It is not just an event. He came in the flesh, but it's that He came in the flesh. In other words, He was he did not begin to exist whenever an earthly body was assigned to Him. He did not begin to exist at the moment of conception. He existed prior to that. He's the eternal, all-existent God. And that He robed Himself in flesh. And why did He do that? Well, what's the mystery of godliness, right? That He came, that He died in our place, uh, that uh, God was manifest in the flesh, uh, that He was justified in the Spirit, uh, that He was testified of of angels, uh, that He rose in power and in glory. This contains within it in germ form the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, what it's saying is this. And by the way, again, John's not giving a, a sweeping full uh, set of doctrinal body that he's saying, this is what you need to believe and nothing else. What he's saying is this, the Spirit of God, when he talks about Jesus, this is the Jesus he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about the one that's testified of in Scripture, the one that was both God and man, the one that was God that was manifest in the flesh, the one that lived a perfect sinless life, born of a virgin, died and bore our sins, was buried, rose in power and in glory. If the Spirit of God is talking about Jesus, that's the Jesus he's going to be talking about. And if anybody talks about any other Jesus, it ain't the Spirit of God that is talking. He says, every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And by the way, let me just mention this and I'm going to move on. This is the bulk of my message, all right? So I'm almost done. Believe that, please, all right? Um, notice that he says that confesseth not. A lot can be told by what people refuse to say. Refuse to say. I was watching the other day, uh, I don't know why, I don't know why I do this, but I was watching our Attorney General giving testimony before Congress, and uh, they he, he lifted up, so one of the congressmen, I don't know who it was, they're all, they're all snakes anyway, but, but they, he, he lifted up a picture of January 6th, and he showed it to the, the Attorney General, and he said, is this an insurrection? Now, you and I know it's not, but he said, because that's what they have to do, he said, is this an insurrection? And the Attorney General said, yes, it is. And then beside it, he showed, I mean, just a couple days prior to that, uh, Antifa thugs breaking into, I don't know if it was a Bureau of Land Management or Health and Human Services, it was a federal government building that they broke into and took over. And he showed them that. He said, is this an insurrection? He said, I'm sorry, sir, I can't speak on that. Right? What will he not say? What will he not say? Can I tell you this? You can tell a lot more about a church, not about what they do say, but about what they won't say. What are they afraid to say? What will they not preach on? Because it's going to clear the room if they do. He says, every spirit that confesseth not, that won't say it, that won't say that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that won't say that He's exactly who the Bible says that He is, that won't say that He's the only way to heaven, that it's by grace through faith, won't say it. Why? Because it'd run off those that do not accept the dogma and truth of the Word of God. See, if you're going to get that tent that big, you're going to have to sacrifice some things. And so there's a lot to be told by that. He says this, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, where if you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. We have a paramount truth here. It centers around the Son of God. But can I, can I just mention in passing a parallel truth here? You say, what's the parallel truth? The very same things that's said about Jesus here should be said about the Word of God as well. 
that it is divine, that its record is true, that it is powerful, that it is singular, that it is the Word of God given to mankind. And I would say this, that you can't tell me the Spirit of truth is going to work in error. You can't tell me He's going to plow with that plow of error. You can't tell me, you say, preacher, are you saying a person couldn't get saved? But hey, listen, people have been saved from a lot of things. It's the gospel's the power of God and salvation. Am I right? It's the gospel's the power of God and salvation. Hey, listen, when I give my testimony to someone about how God saved me, that's not the word of God. That's my personal testimony, but the gospel's contained in it and it has power to save people. I'm not saying God can't use some unusual things to reach people with the truth of the gospel. But I'm saying this, hey, the work that the Holy Ghost does in the life of the believers, He's not going to use a bent plow. He's going to use a straight plow. He's going to use the clear teaching truth of the inspired, inerrant Word of God in this King James Bible. So we see that we need to be clear about the Savior. Uh, Notice number four, he says, This year of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. This may seem like a passing statement, but John and the Holy Ghost take time to say it. We need to be confident of success. Because can I tell you this? As you are a discerning believer that is holding to the truth of God's Word, it is very easy to get discouraged and overwhelmed and feel as though you are being uh, swept away in a tide of error and untruth in the world we live in today. It's very easy to look around and feel like you're in the minority. Guess what? You are. But that's okay. That's okay. Uh, It's all right that we're in the minority and holding the truth of the Word of God. It's all right that though the world is going this direction, we're not going in that same direction. John reminds them, he says, listen, the reason you have an issue with this is not because you are a cantankerous person. The reason is because you're of God. That's why. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We can be confident. Hey, sooner or later, the world's going to learn. They are. Are you listening to me tonight? Sooner or later, they're going to learn. They're going to see what's true and what's right. And all of that error is going to be swept away in the glorious face of the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes. We need to be confident of success. Look at verse number 5. He says this, They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. So here we have an entire movement, don't we? We have a reciprocal thing going on. They speak of the world, and the world hears them. Because the world hears them, they keep speaking of the world. Because they keep speaking of the world, the world keeps hearing them. What's he saying? He's saying you're not to be a part of that mess. We're to be consecrated in separation. There ought to be a difference between the world and the believer. There ought to be a difference between the world and the believer. It ought to be we're not a part of that crowd. When we see error, we should separate from it. Now, that doesn't mean being mean or mean-spirited or ugly. It doesn't mean not being willing to reach people with the truth as opportunity provides. But what it does mean is we need to recognize there is a spirit and direction that the world is going in and we are to have no part of it. Very often I hear believers want to talk about, they'll say, well, you know, Jesus, He never said that we were not to be in this world. We're in this world. Can I just quote the other half of it to you? He he said, Heavenly Father, I pray not that Thou wouldst take them out of the world, but that Thou wouldst keep them from the world. If you're going to say we've got to be in the world, then you've got to say we've got to be apart from the world too. You've got to have both sides of it. It's true we're not to isolate ourselves away. It's true we're not to cloister ourselves away like some monk in a monastery. But it's equally true that if we're not willing to be salt and light, there's no point in us being here at all. We're to be different, consecrated 
in separation. Look at verse number 6. He says this, we are of God. And by the way, let me just, I I thought I was done preaching. Hold on a second. Look at verse 5 again, would you? Just for one second. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. There's a progression there. If you start acting like the world, it won't be long, you'll start trafficking in their same error. And it won't be long, you won't just be trafficking in it yourself, you'll be telling it to others as well. There are a lot of people in the world today that, you know, the Bible says evil communication corrupteth good manners. You know what that means? Bad doctrine leads to bad behavior. If we believe the wrong things, it will produce the wrong things in our life. There's a lot of people that know the truth of the Word of God, but they refuse to take a stand on it because they're unwilling to change the associations and behaviors that they've become accustomed to. It's not even for them a doctrinal proposition. It's a moral and ethical one. They don't want to change the way they're living, and so they don't want to be honest about what the Bible teaches. Alright, now I'm done there. Look what it says, verse number 6. He says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now here's a basic, fundamental, important question to ask. Who is we? He says, we are of God. Who is we? Who is he talking about? Well, John is speaking, not of preachers in general, because many of the people that he was condemning in these verses were were posing as preachers of the word of God. What he is talking about is that body of apostles whose ministry had been borne witness to and testimony of by the truth of the Word of God and by the testimony of God within the local church. Now, let me be abundantly clear here. Apostleship is not an office that's present in the church today. Apostles had a very distinct purpose and they had a very distinct criteria for being an apostle. You remember when the uh, apostles wanted to elect another apostle to take Judas's place. You remember what they said. They wanted to choose among them those that had been with them from the beginning and had borne witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The office of an apostle was a transitional office that was given uh, during that time before the Word of God was completed to give uh, credentials, to give legitimacy to the infant church. These were men that could say, we were with Jesus. We saw Him die. We saw Him raised from the dead. We heard what He taught. They were there for that fundamental purpose. Apostleship, and I don't care, there's all kinds of people who call themselves apostles today, uh, but that doesn't make them an apostle. Just like in John's day, men calling themselves apostles did not make them apostles. So what does he mean when he says we? Well, he's talking about those that were of true apostleship. And he's speaking of those whom God used to pin down the word of God. So in other words, this is not, as the Catholic Church would have us to believe, a a vehicle through which to say, because I'm a religious leader, you have to listen to everything that I say. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, we have pinned down for you the Word of God, and the Word of God is authoritative. I would say this, we need to be consecrated in separation, but then we need to be committed to the Scripture. Committed to the Scripture. We are of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Scripture. Those that had pinned down the Word of God. And then he says, he that knoweth God heareth us. They accept the truth of the Word of God. He says, He that is not of God heareth not us, rejects the truth of the Word of God. Then He says, Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let me make it real simple for you. Do they line up with this book? That's real simple. Isn't God so precious to us? He gave us all a Bible so that we don't have to wander through life wondering who has the truth 
we can open our very... I don't know if you're like me, man. i got probably a dozen Bibles sitting on my bookshelf. So many, it's embarrassing. I'll be honest with you. It's embarrassing. And, and, and I, I mean, all of us, we've got a Bible. You've got If you don't have one, I'll get you one. All right? And you can open it and you can read it and you don't have to wonder what the truth is. You can know what the truth is. The greatest way to guard yourself against error is to stay committed to the truth. I've given this illustration before, but it's interesting when they're training people in the Treasury Department uh, to be able to pick up on counterfeit money. They don't train them by having them study the counterfeits because there's too many. They train them by having them study the authentic thing. They have them study actual certified U.S. Treasury, which is also fake money too. But the point is, it's it's the money that they it's the money that they want them to be guarding, and so they will have them study that. You know why? The idea is, if you know the real thing, you'll be able to tell a fake. I, can I just? I'm going to just share a little bit pastorally with you. But I don't do a whole lot of series on exposing the Seventh Day Adventists, exposing the Church of God, exposing the you know whatever it is, exposing the Mormons, exposing Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm not saying that those things don't have importance, but I've just found that the best thing to do, instead of taking y'all on hunting expeditions for cults, the better thing is just to build a fence around the house of God, a fence of truth whereby things can't penetrate through it because when they come along and they start saying things like, well, you know, Jesus, he, you know, he, he was he was a son of God. You go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, a son of God. That's not what my Bible says. <laughs> my Bible says he's the son of God. When they come along and, and start saying, well, you know, he was a very, very good man, but but you can't believe that he didn't sometimes, you know, do things wrong, commit sin like anybody. You say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. My Bible says he knew no sin. That in him was no sin. That he did no sin. That there was neither guile found in his mouth. I know what my Bible says about that. That when they come along and they say, hey, listen, of course you have to believe to get to heaven. But, but that's not enough. I mean, you need to be baptized and, and you need to join a church and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. My Bible says not of works lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. On and on we could go. <laughs> But the point is, we know the Bible and that guards us against error. You want to be guarded against error? Man, swim around in this book for the rest of your life. Jump in it and learn it and love it and pour over it and let it live in you. Let, let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Let the Word be engrafted in you. And you won't have to worry about being able to pick apart everything. When it comes, you'll know that it's phony. We need to be committed to Scripture. And then this is just sort of a last one. If I'm being honest... This begins the next portion of John's teaching in verse number 7. But I thought it was good. I wanted to say it. I wanted to make an application of this. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So let's think about it here. We need to be cautious in spirit. Don't accept everything that's said. We need to be clear about the Savior. Right, And with that, we could say the Scriptures as well because the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. That's a part of the incarnation is the inerrancy of the Word of God. Those two doctrines are inseparable. It was the Word that was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Being clear about the Savior. Confident of success. Man, I know it's discouraging sometimes. We're on the winning side of this thing. Don't, don't walk around with your head hung down. Consecrated in separation. We, we, we can't keep company with error and expect to walk in truth. We can't. It's impossible. Committed to the Scripture. Learn and love your Bible, and it'll guard you. But you know, here's just a little, this is a bonus, all right? This only, I'm only going to charge you 20% of what I normally would. Look what it says, verse 7. Let us love one another. You know what we need to do? We need to be communing with the saints. Boy, it's a dangerous thing when we get out of church. 
We don't have a pastor that we can go and ask questions to. We don't have a Sunday school teacher that's constantly provoking us unto truth. We don't have the people of God that are looking and watching with bird's eye view of our life and are noticing when something is wrong and something is awry. Hey, listen, I know we like this idea of rugged individualism, but let me tell you something. When you got born again, you forfeited the opportunity to go it alone. God took you and planted you in a New Testament church. You need the people of God. The people of God need you. And you make yourself very susceptible to error when you separate yourself from the people of God. By the same, hey, listen, the sheep is no more in danger of the wolf than when he's separated from the rest of the flock. That's when the wolf gets him. And it's not that those other sheep can fight off that wolf. It's just there's so many of them that the wolf can't take them all, right? <laughs> That's the reason years ago people used to talk about kids being able to run and play. People say, man, I wish kids could do that now. They'll say there wasn't bad people. Yeah, there was bad people back then, but how do you kidnap 17 kids at once? <laughs> That's why it was safer, right? It was a whole pack, roving uh, herd of children. By the same token, listen, we, we, we gather around the people of God, find comfort and encouragement in them. That'll do a lot to guard us against error. Because then, if the wolf wants to come in, he's got to steal the whole flock. You know what I've witnessed in people that traffic in error? You know what they'll often do when they get into the house of God? Get amongst the people of God? We've not had a problem with this. But I've seen people try to do it even in our church. You know what they'll do? They'll come in, they'll try to separate people away. Try cutting them from the herd. Start trying to get them away. Get a little group. Want to have this, this study, that study. Pull them away. This and that. It's part of the reason this ain't boy. I... <laughs> That's part of the reason I ain't a big fan of this small group stuff. Why, why is it that it has to be cloistered away? And I'm not saying there's not a place for Bible studies. And I'm not saying there's certainly there's a place for fellowship and homes. But I'm talking about you see this in churches where they're doing away with Sunday night. And instead they're taking and, and, and doing it in, in homes. You, you know the problem with that, right? It, is there's no authority there. And very often they become seedbeds for error. I'm saying this, hey... We need to stay with the people of God, with the house of God. There's safety in numbers. And that's true in a spiritual sense as well. All right, if I if I left you out somehow and didn't say something to make you mad, let me know afterwards. We'll work that out. Let's bow with a word of prayer tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. You know, I'll be honest with you, people of God, I, I'm not sure how you're going to respond in this invitation, but I trust that the Holy Ghost did office work in your heart and life. Could be that there's been some area of your life where you've just simply been been negligent. Something in your life you've not been studying your Bible. You've not been spending time with the people of God. Uh, maybe you've uh, adopted this sort of uh, of passive spirit that is so common in the world today of just saying, "Well, I can't ever, I can't ever scrutinize anything. I can't ever criticize anything." Hey, whatever it is, don't play with fire. You better make sure that you've got the right spirit, the right attitude about these things. There's great danger in not being discerning. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.